0: Steve, hello and welcome to the Irish Mythology Podcast. I'm Stephanie Hearney.
1: And I'm Marcus O'Hishkin. So we know that many of you are waiting for the next episode of our show on the story of the wooing of Vatain. And if you missed the first part, you can catch up on all the usual podcast apps. But for now, we're taking a little break to tell you a story that's very relevant today, um, the 1st of February, and that is the story of St Brigid. Today is known as St. Bridget's Day or La Fale Bridge or Imbolc in, in the pagan calendar.
0: Now Imbolc marks the first day of spring and do not listen to anyone who will tell you that the first day of spring is in March. We might be in level five COVID lockdown until March but winter is over and I will not hear otherwise. I will fight anyone who says different. So occasionally we see Irish saints or Christian figures pop up in Irish mythology and St. Brigid is one of my favourites in that cohort of people. St. Brigid's story overlaps quite a bit with the story of a pagan goddess of the same name and while the saint was most probably a real historical figure, much of her story is myth and this seems like a good point to start today's story.
1: But before we get into that, we just like to say thanks once again to all our listeners and subscribers and patrons We really appreciate it. You might want to uh, subscribe to our Patreon to help us to be able to do more with this podcast. And we'll talk about that a bit later uh, at the end of the show. But if you're not in a position to do so, that's okay. Just tell your friends or family members about it if it's something you think they may be interested in. And even sharing links to our episode on social media really helps. So thanks everybody already doing that. Now for Steffi Witt. Brigid, Goddess Druid and Saint of Imbuc.
0: Brigid, daughter of the Dagda, stands in the open field, observing her surroundings under a grey sky. She counts her sheep again, making sure that none have wandered from the flock or have been taken by a rogue wolf. Her clothes cling to her body, and her hair sticks to her face, having been soaked by the downpour of rain. She makes her way back to her home to dry off, composing poems in her head as she walks. Her two oxen, my Fay" and my faen, stand outside her house with the king of the boars, Tria. She nods to them as she passes. Brigid greets the women in the house, They are huddled around the fire, trying to get some warmth into their bones. Their bellies are empty, and they are hungry, with only a small piece of bread to share between them, and rushes lie all around on the ground mixed with dirt. There is little space for another body in front of the fire, and the womenfolk are blocking what small bit of light is coming from it. It had been dull outside, And her eyes need a minute to adjust to the darkness of the house when bridget turns her back to the small flame she wrings out her hair and water falls on the ground as if she had just emerged from the sea she notices the large amount of soot on the walls compared to the small flame in the hearth and makes a mental note to do something about it as she laments the weather outside and thinks about the work yet to be done in the house she notices a beam of light come through the house through a tiny opening in its harsh stone walls. Neon spots dance in front of her eyes and for a moment, she thinks the sunbeam is a slanting tree growing inside her house. She needed to dry off or she would become sick or is seeing a tree indoors where there is no tree at all, a sign of sickness already on the way. Still drenched from the rain, Bridget removes her cloak. She walks slowly towards the sunbeam, weighed down by the soaking clothes in her arm. Bridget reaches out and drapes her cloak on the beam of light as if it was an actual oak tree that stood in front of her. The wet, heavy brown woven fabric hangs over the ray of light and droplets of water splish-splash on the floor, though it is seemingly suspended in the air by nothing at all. The women of the house are dumbfounded, and stand in awe looking at the woman who had conjured a place to hang her cloak, out of nothing but a glimmer of light from the sun that stole its way in through a crack in the wall of the house. When they turn to speak to each other in shock at what they have just witnessed, they notice that the floor underneath them is now clean, and the flame in the hearth is much bigger and brighter and hotter than it had been before, while not having had a single extra sod of turf or a lump of wood thrown in, and the walls around them are cleaner than they had ever seen before. One of the women exclaims that the butter churn, which had been empty, is now full, and upon the small table in the corner lies loaves of fresh soda bread and cups of delicious ale and sheep's milk ready to be drank the oldest woman in the house speaks my kitchen my kitchen of the white god a kitchen which my king hath blessed a kitchen stocked with butter but it was bridget who had worked this magic bridget smiles and sits down upon a wooden stool and urges the women to eat and drink the abundance in the house and enjoy the heat of the fire Two of the women's children gather rushes and make them into dolls of the druid goddess who had magicked this bounty, and the youngest girl offers her a piece of bread to say thank you. Bridget eats, and she eats well. She looks through the door and observes the sky is now bright and clear. Though she has done plenty for that day, spring is here, and soon new lambs. Her work is only just beginning. As she finishes her mug of ale, she hears squeals and cries from the oxen and swine outside the door, but when she rushes out, there's no one there, just the animals looking at her. She places her hand on the sword she had made only this week, for Bridget knows this to mean only one thing, battles are on the way.
1: So this story has a big element of artistic license. Um, So a Christian monk, Cogitus, wrote about the miracle of the garment hung on the sunbeam around the year 650 CE. And there are a couple of different versions of this. In another later version, Bridget is out walking and she meets St Brendan. And her cloak is wet and she takes it off and flings it out and it lands on a sunbeam where it dries.
0: It's very handy. Yeah. Uh, The other aspect of this story is Bridget making butter and ale and other food appear out of nowhere. Good person to have around. Uh, These are quite common magical acts or even miracles attributed to Bridget and we'll come back to the dolls that feature later on and the two oxen in this story are actually mentioned in the Leraguol and Hern or the book of invasions that we've mentioned in previous episodes and in this writing it is said that the oxen and swine are meant to represent three demonic shouts after ravaging battle uproar wailing and outcry so this is really sort of this this story is really a sort of hybridized amalgamated version of elements of the stories to do with the goddess Brigid and the christian saint
1: in terms of her origins it's said that bridget was a member of the two a day who you remember from the first season and she was said to have been a daughter of the who you know from our last episode and the one before that so she is not the child he conceived in that episode and we'll return to the story in the next episode but for the purposes of keeping track of the family tree, she's the daughter of the Dagda, and she is also the half-sister of Kermit, Angus, Aid, and Boldarig.
0: So Bridget was the wife of Brez and you'll know him from his battles in, in previous episodes that we covered. And She had a son with him named Ruadhan. Uh, he's actually a very interesting character and deserves an episode in his own right because he is a very... Uh, a very good tale of mystery and intrigue while fighting uh, actually on the side of the Formorians even though his heritage is is largely that of the Tuadid Annan.
1: And of course we'll be getting to that battle later on in this season. You'll also remember from some of our earlier stories that we covered the first battle of Maitura, which culminates in the Tuaday building their capital at Tara and the Bulg retaining the province of Connacht. So during this battle Nuda, who was at that point the chief of the Tuidae, loses his right hand and Brez is elected in his place. But as Brez's his father, was a Formorium by birth, a dynastic marriage is arranged by, between him and Brigid, the daughter of the Dagda, so that's where she fits in in all of these events.
0: Now, as a goddess, Brigid was associated very much with spring, with renewal, fertility, healing, Poetry, Smithcraft, um, for reasons that will all become clear. Now, according to Cormac's Glossary, which was an early dictionary of sorts, really, compiled by 10th century monks, she was a goddess who was adored by poets and had two sisters, also called Bridget one of whom was a healer and one of whom was a smith. And this indicates that Bridget might have been seen as sort of a triple deity um, and something we see that a lot in Irish mythology. We see it with with the Morrigan as well. Now, this connection with fertility in spring is why she celebrated at this time of year on Imbolc. There are different etymologies suggested for the word Imbolc, one of which stems from the old Irish word uh, Imbolc, meaning in the belly. And that's said to refer to pregnancy. The other suggested meaning is that it comes from the old Irish um, ulc," meaning to sort of wash or cleanse yourself, supporting the connotations of ritual cleansing that come along with spring.
1: And we've mentioned some Neolithic monuments that survive around the Boyne Valley and around County Meath. And in particular, we've been talking about Newgrange, which is illuminated by the sun on the day of the winter solstice. But the Mound of the Hostages up at the Hill of Tara is illuminated on Imbolc and at Samhain. So this has always been, seems to always have been a significant time of the year for the culture of the people who lived in that area. But we'll talk about the cultural practices and traditions around Imbolc a bit later.
0: So Bridget was born with the sunrise and then nourished as a baby with the milk from a sacred cow. And interestingly, Bridget has associations with County Louth, much like the goddess Bowen, who gave her name to the Boyne River, a cow goddess who uh, we actually did an episode on a, a good while ago, but they are two separate figures. Now, though she does have an association with cattle and livestock, and in Scotland, she said to actually have an association with serpents, in the Book of Invasion, so the Leragol Aaron, she is noted as having two oxen and these are the ones that feature in the story and they graze on a plain named Femin. And she's also said to have possessed this king of boars and the king of sheep as well uh, cur- called Curb. And these were said to have been gifted in crying out warnings. So she's really, this is where she gets her uh, her her position as a guardian figure from for livestock from.
1: It's also said that Wherever Bridget goes, flowers and shamrocks spring up where she walks. Not only this, Bridget is also said to have been the inventor of keening, a particular form of weeping and singing that would have been traditional in Irish funerals for a very long time. A lot of people seem to think that keening is basically just screaming and wailing and crying, but it's it's actually a form of song that can be quite beautiful. And we'll we'll post a link on YouTube for you, from YouTube for you to listen to. Anyway, Bridget is said to have invented this while mourning the death of her son. Spoiler and, alert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she's also said to have invented a particular type of whistle used for night travel, and this uh, this is all in the. Uh, kind of tour, the second battle of
0: So in Lady Augusta Gregory's writing, um, she said that Bridget was, and I quote, a woman of poetry and poets worshipped her for her sway was very great and very noble and she was a woman of healing along with that and a woman of smith's work and it was she who first made the whistle for calling one to another during the night. Now, there could potentially be some correlation between the goddess Brigantia in Britain, who is said to be a Celtic equivalent of the Roman goddess uh, Minerva and the Greek Athena, and these these figures are also associated with warfare and the arts and handicrafts, much like Bridget. So, really, Bridget is associated very much with things that are considered quite elevated in society, in addition to things that are considered to be, uh, you know, women's pursuits. Really. Whether that's flames or hill hillforts, um, in that they're, they're the elevated things, um, or the sort of metaphorically elevated activities like writing poetry, which was held in incredibly high esteem in ancient Irish societies, but also healing and warfare. So she's really sort of a kind of jack-of-all-trades type uh, type goddess.
1: Or a Jane of all trades.
0: A Jill of all trades, I would have said. Jack and
1: Jill, she's... Yeah,
0: yeah, up here for thinking, down there for dancing. Anyway, uh, so although she is associated with healing, we've also talked about Dean Kecht in the past as being a god of healing in Irish mythology and also uh, the goddess, mm, oh, tip of my tongue, Gobnew, uh, who's associated with uh, being a goddess of blacksmithing. God. God, sorry. Well, you know, there could be could have questioned his gender, we don't know that. Um, we didn't ask his pronouns. <laughs> anyway, uh, the point being that uh, Bridget is associated with these things, which sort of in, and she's associated with a lot of different things, which indicates that she probably came much later in the, the pantheon of Irish goddesses.
1: We have the Christian saint of the same name, and there's a useful section in Brian Wright's book, Bridget, Goddess, Druid, and Saints, that we used in researching this episode where he describes how early Irish Christians didn't completely abandon the old pagan gods. So instead of trying to suppress these beliefs, it was very common for the Christian church to appropriate and Christianize um, these pagan figures and make it easier for people to convert. And he quotes a letter that St. Augustine received from Pope Gregory in 597 CE stating...
0: Because they are accustomed to slay so many oxen and sacrifices to demons, some solemnity should be put in place of this, so that on the day of the dedication of the churches or the nativities of the holy martyrs whose relics are placed there, they may make for themselves bowers of branches of trees around those churches which have been changed from heathen temples and may celebrate the solemnity with religious feasting. Nor let them now sacrifice animals to the devil, but to the praise of God kill animals for their own eating and render thanks to the giver of all things for their abundance, so that while outward joys are retained for them, so they may the more easily respond to inward joys.
1: This kind of policy of cultural appropriation continued in relation to all aspects of the pagan tradition. We also see this in how Gerald de Barry wrote in Expergito.
0: I would say Ex-Purgatio hibernico.
1: Ex-Purgatio hibernico.
0: Can't tell any Latin experts out there, you know. Well, yeah, I was just <laughs> going to
1: say um, my uh, old Latin teacher, rest in peace, would be horrified at that pronunciation. I, I only. Did, did you it, do Latin in school? I did it in first year in secondary school. Yeah. So old are you? <laughs> the the only yeah I don't I don't remember much at all apart from hylax Estin in hylachem means the barker is barking. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing I really remember. And, well, and, and then stuff it's on football badges and
0: yeah. Yeah, I think my Latin knowledge extends to sort of legal maxims. Uh but anyway, yeah, go on, tell us what happens in
1: Oh yeah. So it was it was written he wrote it in eleven eighty five, how a perpetual flame was kept for Saint Brigid in Kildare and this appears to be a continuation of how the goddess Brigid would have originally been venerated. Brian Wright says that originally a fire would have been maintained by Druduses, which in which men would have been excluded. from
0: yep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Goddesses being associated with naturally occurring eternal flames occurs frequently in mythology. And we also see this with the Roman goddess Vesta and the goddess Hestia. And originally it was said that this temple for Sit Bridget was surrounded by a hedge, which no man could cross and and that men who attempted to cross the hedge were said to have been cursed to go insane, die or crippled. I don't know if you remember <laughs> I don't know if, if you remember a there used to be a, a clothes shop, a women's clothes shop on what's the name of that street around the corner from Dorset Street as so you're going up um, towards Fibsborough, or towards the Blessington Basin.
0: It's Blessington Street, isn't it?
1: Blessington Street, yeah, at the bottom of Blessington Street there was this women's clothes shop. And they used to have a sign on it, and I used to go past this on the bus from from Navin, uh once a week back when I was in college. And the the sign on the door said, "We we would be obliged if men remained outside." And I was just i just wondering, was this the outcome? Would they have gone in? Uh, would they have been cursed to go insane, die, or be crippled if they'd actually gone into Maisie's? I think it was called.
0: <laughs> I don't know, but I'd love one of those hedges, to be honest. <laughs> The Christian figure of Saint Bridget was said to have been incredibly beautiful, and she was said to have prayed for her beauty to be taken away, so that she would not have to have a husband. Rather, she would prefer to look. Sorry, I don't know why I find that so funny. <laughs> Rather, she would uh, she would prefer to look after the poor, the sick, and the elderly. Than have to deal with a man in her life. <laughs> and God granted her wish because she prayed really hard. And eventually her, her father relents and says to her, You're you're okay, you can pursue a religious life. After, and this was after she threw away um he had a jewel encrusted sword, and apparently she gave it to a leper. And so this sort of aversion to men is a thread that you could say appears again and again in uh in actually in the Christian version.
1: Uh, one, one of the things that made it easier to convert Brigid from goddess to Christian saint was the number of magical things that could be attributed to her as miracles. Early Christian literature describes Saint Bridget of Kildare as having been a real person who founded a monastery around 4, 470 CE and died around 525 CE. There were a number of different versions of her, her life story written by medieval monks but some of the earlier versions are said to be based on old pagan folktales connected with the goddess Brigid and the magical aspects that are sometimes thought to have been attributed to her after her death as opposed to during her life.
0: So the lines here are very, very blurred. And in one story, it is said that a uh, chieftain of Leinster, was in his chariot with his bondmaid, uh, Bryshach who is said to be the mother of Bridget and a druid called Maithian had made a prophecy that Broxhach would have a child who would be of great renown. And this is, uh, in these stories, you do see where they talk about um, the, the druids predicting that there would be this baby born and that she would have, you know, great influence on the country and so on. As Dúhach's wife was very jealous. Now, in this version, actually, it's important to note that the Dagda is not listed as as her dad here. So Dúhach's wife was very, very jealous, And as a result, he sold Brussach to a bard who sold her to another uh, druid who brought her to a feast with the king of Connell. And and this druid made a prophecy that she would give birth at sunrise to a child who would be neither inside nor outside of the house. And that night, the queen gave birth, but her child died. But Brussach also gave birth to a baby with one foot inside the house and one foot outside so I assume it was sort of you know on the on the threshold of the house and you know in the doorway and when this baby was brought into the presence of the queen's baby uh the the dead baby returned to life and following this the baby was baptized Bridget now, one day when she was much older, she went to a dairy to help her mother, and the druid had demanded a giant hamper of butter that was, you know, 18 hands high. So, you know, an EU butter mountain of sorts. <laughs> but she had only done one turning and a half. So she was a bit, she was a little, it was a little light. Uh, but following a, prayer, it's like the Tony Soprano of druids, actually, now that I think of it, you know. You've come light, um, but she done yeah. So she just this, done this like single churning and a half, and she had a bit of a prayer. And following a prayer, the butter increased so that she could have filled all the hampers of the men of Munster. And as a result, the druid freed the mother and gave her the butter and cows, uh, which she then in turn gave away to the poor.
1: Bit of a loaves and fishes element to that story. There's a there? lot.
0: There's a lot of loaves and fishes elements to the the, the versions of uh, the Christian stories of Saint Bridget, and in Scotland, and we don't go into it too much here. But in Scotland, there's some really really interesting stories around Saint Bridget where they talk about how um, Saint Bridget was said to have been present at the birth of Christ, and then I mean also she is Saint Bridget is known as. Um, Mary of the Gael here there's like a whole list of names which we haven't we haven't included just for space but there's a whole list of names by which she's known so there's a real sort of strong Our Lady slash Jesus vibe to St Bridget in a lot of these stories.
1: This story is interesting as it kind of straddles the the pagan and Christian cultures in that she prays to the Christian God but also demonstrates her association with healing and the idea that she was always destined for great things her her birth having been prophesized by druids originally
0: yeah so bridget is associated this idea of healing um we we also see this continue into into contemporary times really she's very associated with holy wells in kildare louth clare all places around ireland And it would be very, very common for like ribbons or small offerings like memoriam cards and that sort of thing to be tied to trees or left around these wells as a way of petitioning her or honouring Bridget. Uh, They're sometimes left inside the wells themselves. And you'd you'd see this up at um, Fart in Louth, which has an association with Bridget. And I've I've tied a wee ribbon up there myself. Um, And if you want to get a really good look at one of inside one of these wells there's a really good video on youtube from a poet called sarah clancy which films the objects inside while she reads her poem that's called a prayer for saint bridget in her most pagan incarnation and we'll post the link to that in the show notes but i really like the poem because it's very much it's, it's very much about the essence of saint bridget but it also speaks to how saint bridget or the goddess bridget is very much like a woman's figure in loads of ways and Bridget even as a Christian saint saint has never really lost the pagan associations of healing and and sort of justice um that that really touches uh or that that's that's I suppose really kind of prominent in her mythology and it really touches on a lot of the horrors that women in Ireland would have faced through the years but this poem is also interesting in that Bridget is you know she's this pagan figure but she's a Christian figure but this poem also explores the role of the church in that in many ways Um, And I will take a moment to indulge and read that poem. So, the poem is... I'm probably not doing Sarah justice now when I read this, but anyway, we'll give it a go. Bridget, let us keep our eyes and poke theirs out. We need another word than justice for these contests where everyone we care about almost always loses. We need new phrases for the way our bodies are perceived as traps for men to unsuspectingly get caught in and for how we are made comply with this. We need other words than conviction and witness for the surrender and regrant submission that even successful prosecutions entail for their victims. We need to summon a diatribe so savage that it sounds like our maternal ancestors howling at us enraged at our obediences. We need to let them shame us into resistance whenever we are denied jurisdiction over our own interiors, our own existences. Yes, we need sentences, but more than that, we need a whole new language for the damage that happens when some overseer or other gets to tell us what the severed parts of our anatomies were worth, what price a broken pelvis, an unnecessary hysterectomy, or a decade of forced labour in a laundry, and who gets to be the judge of this – We might need new mouths to make it known that we won't stand for this, but so be it. It will take a litany of curses harsh and vicious enough to make the judge and jury of public opinion actually listen. We need to expose the concealed weapon of our intelligence and not apologise for it, no matter how uncomfortable this makes things. We need to put the power brokers on notice that if they call our protests hysterical, we will catch them by their gullets. We need to make it known that the days of us putting our own eyes out are over. And that as and when it's necessary, we will fix our sights on each and every stuffed shirt who attempts to discuss the mitigating circumstances that mean it was okay to hurt us. We need a daylight court that we can enter into whole and leave intact. And we need words for this, women. We have lost our tongues in battle and we need to take them back.
1: Very powerful words.
0: It is. It's a bit kind of get you in the gut, really. Yeah,
1: you would you wouldn't want to go toe to toe with those words, like you know they they're.
0: No, and you know I think when you hear something like that, those kind of poems, like it really tells you why. Um, like I mean, Sarah Clancy is she's around and writing poems all. She's a great poet and writes fantastic stuff down in Clare all the time, and all of her stuff is incredibly powerful. But th- that kind of you know when it really gets you in the gut, like it really shows you how and why poetry has always been incredibly powerful in ireland you know yeah it's a magic
1: and another thing that's always been incredibly important and powerful in ireland is saint bridget's day or in book and it's played a big role in our society and in 1942 the national folklore commission conducted a survey on the customs associated with the day that generated around 2500 pages of material and still to this day in Ireland, you'll find people making and hanging out Brigid's crosses on February the 1st. And of course, you can see a lot of these stories on e, which is a really excellent resource. Anyway, it's believed that Brigid was said to visit virtuous households and bless the inhabitants. And this was very important as this heralded the time of spring. In many places on Imbolc Eve or St Brigid's Eve, the 31st of January, when we were actually recording this, um, families would have a special meal that might have included Culcanan and barnbrack, which more often would be associated with Samhain, and food and drink might be set aside for Bridget.
0: Making a Bridget cross, and we'll include some pictures of these in the show notes, uh, are one of the traditional rituals to celebrate the beginning of early spring on the 1st of February. Crosses are made of rushes that are pulled and then hung by the door and in the rafters to protect the house from fire and evil. And according to tradition, a new house, new house, a new cross is made each Bridget's Day and the old one is then burned the following year. And this tradition comes, as it said, because St. Bridget is believed to have woven a cross at the deathbed of either her father or a pagan chieftain. And there are various different versions of this story. And some of them that she arrives to this chieftain and he's sort of, delirious with a type of madness and she weaves a cross and and he's sort of cured then after he, she explains what it is and he has to be converted and then in other versions um he's he's lying and he's dying and, and she picks up rushes from the floor because that would have been common for that they would have been just scattered on the floor and she weaves a cross and then this he asks what the cross means and she explains you know that this is to do with um this uh, you know the Christian cross and he says oh that's that's great I'll be baptised now please um, So these are Well there's more words than that obviously <laughs> you know, But anyway that's, that's the gist of it right? So these crosses Are a very very strong tradition They're a quite distinctive uh, Type of a cross But there are local variants um, there there is ones that are um, that kind of look they, you wouldn't necessarily recognise them as Bridget's crosses at all but that's what they're known as in, in different parts of, um, of Ireland there are ones that come in circles the prefer, preferred in parts of Munster and then in other parts of Ireland you would make Oak dolls um, rather than a cross
1: I think they do that in um,
0: <coughs>
1: Clorgland don't they? Where they, do...
0: they do a lot of Clorgland
1: yeah I yeah, uh, dogs are dogs. Bridget dolls are sometimes made with straw, or alternatively with a broomstick and a mask with a painted face made from a white cloth. Some that actually reminds you of the um, the, what you call it that in Wales that we were talking about, the uh, Mary Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it actually, it is quite similar. Yeah. Um, but sometimes they are made <clears throat> from um churn dashes and. The ones returned to the churn after being used for a bridjog are said to improve the yield of butter, which is certainly also, as we've heard, an attribute of the goddess Bridget.
0: Later, uh, there have also been customs where a bridgeogue was carried around by an unmarried girl who would give a Bridget's cross to the head of the household where they visited. Um, it's kind of interesting that it's an unmarried girl because there's lots of you know things about praying for or praying for husbands and wishing for husbands in Irish mythology but Bridges is a real single gal's gal. But anyway, mm-hmm. um but there are connotations in this that are similar to trick or treating or Wren's day when some of with, with some of this stuff. And there are stories from various places like Galway and Kildare of children carrying around dolls to local houses and they would collect pennies in each of them and the doll is, is representing the oak. and actually I think it was the National Folklore Commission uh, this weekend had posted a picture, a very old picture of one of these groups of people going around, a black and white photo, with a very sinister looking doll um, that, that was a Britogue. Uh, so that, that's worth checking out. I may, we might be able to get a link and put that in the show notes too. Uh, and that, that those accounts are always really cool to follow because you can you can end up learning a lot of stuff from them. Uh, but it's said that there are still areas today where groups of Rodoga uh, as they're known, dressed in costumes, go visiting pubs and other houses collecting money for charity and Bridget's Day, much the way uh, the Wrens do in Kerry on Stephen's Day. We were down there in Dingle a few years ago for Christmas in a time where you could still go out and, uh, and and they were collecting for a charity. So anyway, if you know of any places where this still happens on uh, Loyola Brida or St. Bridget's Day, we would absolutely love to hear about it. So please uh, let us know and send us some photos if you have them too, because I would be delighted.
1: The, um, the 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 in in Dingle now it's 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 very much modernised. Well, you know you still have some of the Wicker Man looking people, but there was there was a load of fellas um, dressed like Mario from the Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, game. And
0: there was one gang of lads who had they'd like suits. They had, they had they had they all had black slacks and white shirts and very thin black ties and horse like these kind of rubber horse heads
1: they were like yeah. something out
0: of a rubber bandits video I loved it like I thought this is great like you know more of this I was thinking like
1: something out of one of my dreams but, uh, oh.
0: God <laughs> almighty anyway.
1: anyway on the on the more Christian side of all of this there has been a tradition in places like Clare, Cork, Galway, Kildare, Mayo Offaly, Ruscommon and Sligo for a girl dressed in white representing St Brigid and carrying a Bridget's cross to lead a procession from house to house, Saint Bridget is quite commonly venerated in Scotland too. And this type of custom also has a similar equivalent around Saint Bridget in Somerset, or Somerset, as they might say. And <laughs> a zider.
0: God. Wonder if we have any listeners in Somerset. How in offended Somerset. are you now on a scale of 1 to 10? Apparently mm. there's a legend there around the death of St. Bridget, but we'll come back to that. Mm. And maybe we'll do. We might do another St. Bridget's Day episode next year. We'll ah, no include doubt. Include all of the things that we didn't have time for today.
1: Gone doubt, as they say on Radio and Aliffa.
0: Gone doubt, gone mm. um, So other customs associated with St. Bridget on the 1st of February are the Crese Vrida or the Bridget's uh, Bridget's Belt which was a woven straw rope of about about 12 foot that was made into a circle, kind of like a hula hoop type thing if you can imagine that. And this would have had three or four Bridget's Crosses at the top and was taken house to house in a procession and people would then t- take turns passing through it to gain the blessing of the saint. And it's interesting in all the writings where the Chris Frida is mentioned that it seems to have be, be, been very traditional for boys to have made it and also for boys to have carried it, whereas the girls would have carried the crosses or the Brutogs. And this is interesting because Bridget in both her pagan and Christian mythological forms, as I we was saying earlier, she, you know, she's very much associated with women. But it was believed that passing through the girdle, as it was known, would bring both good luck to the house and to all of its people throughout the year.
1: Hmm. Passing through a particular item is a very common trope in mythology, and you also see this at various sites or wells where there are meant to be cures for the person if they pass through a particular thing, like a hold stone um a specified number of times. This isn't just partic- particular to Ireland though, as you know it's also known in you know many places, but in particular in England um or should we even say England, Cornwall. Um, the men toll in Cornwall is a stone with a hole in it that is said to have a cure for rickets in children if they pass through it three times. And there's also a, a hole stone in Kildare Cathedral that is said to bring you good luck if you can put your arm through it and touch your opposite shoulder. And I just thought, isn't there one above in Glencolyn Kill there's a hole stone there as well that um, it's above on the walk up to the the and Kill. It's kind of like a long stone with a, a hole in it. And supposedly, if you look through it and you're deemed worthy, you you can see heaven. And
0: Yes, oh, I've been there. Yeah, Joseph, yeah. Joseph McMurray, who teaches above, uh, I'm, I think he brought us there on a walk. Were we at the Men on in Cornwall?
1: We were, yeah. Yes, that, that, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. yes. We were just. the um, same... I think um, some of the dogs went through it a couple of times too.
0: Yeah, and there was a gang of kids there. It might, I tell you, it might cure rickets, but I tell you, it doesn't cure volume in exceptionally loud English <laughs> children. <laughs> that's my <laughs> recollection of it anyway. But uh, Cornwall's lovely. It's a gorgeous place. Um, if you ever, ever got wanted to go on holiday in a place that's dog-friendly, it's real nice. They let all... They let dogs in museums. Another custom associated with the day is the creation of the Bridget's cloak or the brat vride, uh, which involved women and young girls. Actually, do you know what I just want to say? I learned when I was when I was putting these notes together that the word brat, as in like a spoiled brat, actually comes from the old Irish, and it's to do with the brat means a cloak yeah. in Irish, and um, and it would like it was you know the beggar's cloak or whatever and they would have been known as as brats yeah Yeah. Uh, there you go
1: there's some there's some
0: etymology if you're referring to people who are bold or it's also a term in the kink community I suppose (laughs) there you go old Irish features in the BDSM lexicon who knew Uh,
1: and of course for those of you who are not Irish bold means naughty because they don't say it elsewhere (laughs) it just gets
0: worse it's, it's our own yeah, 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 it means naughty, as in yeah, like that child is very naughty. Not in the in the in B- the sense. Bucaldana. Yeah, bucaldana. So the creation of the Brat Frida, uh, This involved the women and the young girls, who weren't busy making the bridges crosses, would take a piece of cloth that was unwashed and lay it outside on a windowsill or a bush um, or a hedge or whatever until the fall, fo- maybe the hedge that prevented men from entering. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, till the following morning, or tied it to a doorknob where it be, would be touched by Bridget when she entered the house. Because the whole thing is that you know it's said that Bridget comes to every house at night and and you know bestows good luck upon you. And that's why it's good to have your your gaff very very clean uh, on on the eve of Saint Bridget's Day. Now, sometimes garments were also cut into strips for each member of the household after they were left outside. And it was said that these were meant to be particularly good for headaches. So none of your solpidines or paracetamols, but, you know, a strip of this, uh, of the, the Brat the And in Kerry, a piece of fabric would be sewed into young girls' clothes, not to protect them from headaches, though, but to protect their virginity with the <laughs> help of St. Bridget herself. Uh so I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, I'm skeptical as to how it worked out, but sure, luck. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> depends where depends where it was sewn into the clothes, I suppose. <laughs> and they were also used by midwives during childbirth, uh, where the brat might be placed on the head of a woman. And but this was something that was also done for cows. If they were having problems calving, they might they might place the brat on the hindquarters of the calf. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, fun fact. Yeah. So if you're stuck for you know if you're prone to headaches. Uh, maybe consider next Bridget's Eve of leaving a bit of cloth outside. Hmm.
1: In other places, a silk ribbon known as the Ribbean Vreed would be left on the windowsill overnight where it's said to lengthen and then this was preserved for headaches as well. In many places it was also used as a divination tool whereby if it was lengthened then it was said to be a sign of good luck and it was measured before and after by marking a whitewashed wall. Cures for headaches actually are a common theme with St. Brigid and it's said that a frost gathered on St. Brigid's Day would be a useful cure for a headache. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to have any. I think it's going to lash.
0: Yeah, because we're actually recording this on St. Brigid's Eve. And also, I suppose, just to be a buzzkill, but I don't know, maybe some of the scientists out there who are listening will say that actually where cloth does expand, it could also be because of the damp. (laughs) as opposed to St. Bridget. But I don't know, I I like to believe in a bit of magic, so, you know, who knows. Uh, But in, in Ireland anyway, it is still considered lucky to move into a house on the 1st of February because Bridget really has kind of a lot of associations around the home. And it was very common for couples to try and marry before Bridget's Day so that they could move into their house on the 1st of February. And it was also common for a long time where if a child was born on that day on or, you know, St. Bridget's Eve or St. Bridget's Day or the, the few weeks before or after that a girl would be given the name Bridget or a variation of it. And apparently, originally now, I read... Uh, that in very very olden times it would have considered it would have been originally considered not very cool to name your child Bridget. Much the same way as people wouldn't name their kid uh, Jesus, unless, now, you're, in unless the, you're in a yeah. in a kind of in a Spanish speaking country mm. where it's quite you know it's actually quite common and very ordinary. But originally that it would have been the same for Bridget, um, and then sort of that changed. But anyway, we talk on this podcast a lot about food and hospitality because. Cake is one of my favorite things, and no episode of Irish mythology podcast would be complete without a reference to the duty of feasting and hosting parties and feeding people, having food in your house when you have guests, and also having manners and bringing cake and biscuits to to people when you visit them. But dairy products are quite associated with Saint Bridget, and as we mentioned earlier, she's strongly associated with increasing stocks of ale and dairy and bread and so on. And food plays a really important role in Imbolc or St. Bridget's Day. So the eve of that day was traditionally when stores were checked to see how well food was lasting and what really needed to be replaced and houses and particularly kitchens were carefully cleaned in preparation for St. Bridget who was said to come through the house and then pieces of cake or bread and food were left out either in the kitchen or on the windowsill for her and in Donegal it was traditional to leave out a bowl of porridge for St. Bridget.
1: Yeah, she wouldn't have been the patron saint of the lactose intolerant anyway. Oh,
0: God! <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so it
1: was it was common to bake soda bread or an oatmeal loaf uh, or other items for the saint. And these pieces that were left out for her were said to have the power of curing ailments. Father was often left out for her cows too, in a, si- a similar way to how it would be traditional for kids to leave out a bit of carrot for Rudolph on Christmas Eve. And why does Rudolph get the 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 food? None of the others, the other reindeer. Yeah.
0: Well, he's kind of you know he's he's the favourite reindeer, isn't he? Really, for I mean that's a different podcast. Like <laughs> do you know.
1: Anyway. Why she...
0: do parents pick their favourites? <laughs> <laughs>
1: It was accepted in some places that the food would be taken away by a poor person um, calling back the association of Bridget with being charitable and some communities felt that the Bridget's Eve dinner was almost as important as Christmas so poor families would be given a bit extra by their neighbours and housewives would prepare by putting aside an extra bit of milk for the 10 days beforehand To turn into butter, which was then um, given out as well.
0: I really like that butter features so heavily in this, given that actual butter is one of my favourite things. None of this like nonsense, imposter spread. Like, just give me actual butter, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And also, this made me think very much of a show that we went to. Um, a couple of years ago, Mahon Mangan did. Oh, yeah, yeah, During the Fla in Drogheda, he did a show called Aranagas Im, where he talked about Irish words, and it was all about butter and food and bread and, and feeding people in community and the Irish language and words. And um, I really like his stuff, but that was really good. But during it, he passed, he had this very small churn. And pass it around to people where they, you know, you'd all have a go at churning the butter. Um, and it was very nice. It was a nice experience. And you got, at the end, you got to eat, which is obviously like my favourite thing about it was that at the end, there was this bread. He made bread at the beginning and baked it during the show. And then at the end, you got to like spread butter that you had had a hand in churning.
1: Well, this episode is making me hungry now. All I know. I was reading. I was
0: reading all of this stuff um, all day and putting notes <laughs> together, and kept reading things about how people would have lamb. I like this mad craving for lamb now. <laughs> lamb koftas. Oh, I mean, I don't know where they having lamb koftas when they were like celebrating Saint <laughs> Bridget's Day Try back not, but, in the forties or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, we might. Anyway uh it was said that saint bridget died around 525 ce and that she was buried uh before being exhumed and then reburied in Downpatrick with saint patrick and saint colm kill uh, two other patron saints of ireland while her skull interestingly was said to have been extracted and brought to lisbon in portugal where it may- remains to this day it's actually in a town slightly outside of lisbon a small town but a portion of her skull was returned to Ireland in 1929 and I'm led to believe now sits in Collester Church. Now, I did look for pictures of her skull because I thought that this was going to be like St. Oliver Plunkett's head in um, in St. Peter's Church in Drogheda that it would sit in an ornate box. But it's in sort of, in the one in Lisbon, it's kept in sort of an urn type of a thing. And then in Calester, it's like this nice gold box. So if you're very into St. Bridget and want to kind of I don't know, go and kind of pray to a partial school piece. Uh, Cholester is, is your only man for the job. Bridget is also an important figure in some contemporary pagan movements. So if you are within five kilometres of a well or a church today that has an association with her, I'm sure you'll see some activity this evening. But in, in other places, uh, St. Bridget's Shroud is said to have once been housed in a church in Screen in County Mees. And there is a relic. Which is now housed in the National Museum of Ireland, which is said to have once contained something belonged to St. Bridget. And that is it's called the Shrine of St. Bridget's shoe. Now the shoe has gone. Gone walkies. Oh that's like one of your jokes. <laughs> Jesus, I've been brainwashed here. Um and that, that was used, it has an etching on it, that a date that's marked 1410, and it was used from for swearing oaths on. Uh Fart in County Louth. Is uh, we mentioned this earlier, and there's a ruined church there with a, with a stone on the back of it, which is said to have been where Saint Bridget was placed immediately after birth. And do you know, now I can't remember which old king is meant to have been buried in Fart but there's a grave there. Oh, uh,
1: your man, um, um, Edward Bruce, yes, Scotland, uh, Robert the Bruce's brother, yes, yeah. or son. Brother, I think brother I think his brother yeah
0: yeah he's buried there mm-hmm. so and his actually his grave is marked so you can go and have a look at that I mean it's you know it's an interesting place anytime I've ever been there it's been a lashing rain I've always destroyed my runners or whatever I've on my feet I've never had I've never been properly shod when I've gone and visited that place but anyway
1: actually just I only just remembered and I know you were talking about um that Church in Cholester There earlier But it's only after Occurring to me That I, I've actually Been in that church um, And sang in the choir There When I was When I was only a When you weren't a heathen chunk, When I wasn't a heathen Yeah <laughs> When I was a chung-fla um, yeah, did we not did,
0: burst into flames No
1: We, we did a um, That was something Where a few different choirs Were Got together And we were up there For the week Practising for You know there you go it's great gas because Meath beat Dublin in the Leinster final as well so we were all sagging the cholesterol boys
0: that's a cool story Will yeah. you tell it again <laughs> jeez
1: anyway there's an awful lot to say on Bridget as a Christian saint or goddess that we could actually do a whole mini-series on that's about all we have time for today but just just a very brief mention of what the rest of the year weather-wise might hold in store because if it's said to be if it's raining on Bridget's day, then Kayak, who's like this hag who goes who is the hag of winter, um is asleep and she's not collecting firewood, so therefore the weather is going to pick up pretty soon. So looking good so far that Kayak is asleep and we're going to have a nice spring and summer, but sure. Kayak.
0: If you've been enjoying the show so far, you might consider becoming a patron. The Irish Mythology Podcast will always be free to listen to on the usual podcast platforms, but it's not free to make. And someday we might even have a Patreon edition where we don't have Mark's childhood memories included <laughs> in our episodes. Your financial support can help us keep making it and continue to invest in things like additional recording equipment because we need another new mic, uh, books for research and down the line, the ambitious one, Paying actors and crew to make full cast productions of the sagas you love. And if you (laughs)
1: love them enough, go on, become a patron.
0: Yeah, uh, there's a range of benefits at different price tiers. And from just three euro a month, you can get early access to each episode, story scripts and enhanced show notes. While from five euro a month, you can get access to bonus episodes. So go and have a look at patreon.com forward slash Irish Mythology podcast.
1: And you can find us on Twitter at Irish Mythology P on Facebook. Um, Irish Mythology Podcast on Instagram at Irish Mythology and on the World Wide Web at Irish Mythology Podcast.ie. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or another platform that includes ratings and you like the show, do us a favour, give us a five star rating, maybe write your review, and it helps us reach a wider audience. So, Slan Liv.
0: Yep, thanks very much. And if you want to honour Saint Bridget today or the goddess Bridget, you know what you have to do. Run the hoover around, have a nice clean house, then enjoy yourself with a nice pot of tea and a piece of cake. Slán live, August Banatí Galeir. We'll see you next time on Irish Mythology Podcast.
1: You have been listening to the Irish Mythology Podcast. Written, presented and produced by Marcus O'Higgins and Stephanie. Well done, the